Well, good evening, brothers and sisters in Christ at Harvest Church, and uh, friends, it is so good to be with you tonight. Um, I invite you to take your Bible out if you have a copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 21. We're going to look together at verses 15 through 19 tonight of John 21. We're going through this at Grace Fellowship, and this is, this is where we are, so um, we're going to look at these wonderful verses together this evening. John 21, beginning at verse 15. We read this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk whatever, wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. May the Lord bless us as we open his word this evening. The, the words uh, immediately preceding this text, I think, are some of the most wonderful, underrated uh, words uh, in all of the New Testament. Uh, the occasion was this. Peter and John and five other disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, and they were uh, fishing all night long, and they had nothing to show for it. Early in the morning, a man on the shore, unidentified, calls them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat, which they do, and miraculously, they have a huge, overwhelming haul of fish. John tells us the exact number, 153 fish. John, the apostle, the author of the book, is the first to put two and two together. And so, in his joy, he says to Peter, it is the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, the risen and resurrected Jesus. And as Peter hears John say these words, he immediately jumps into the water. He doesn't wait for the boat, and he swims as fast as he humanly can to get to Jesus. Imagine uh, being a fly on the wall and witnessing this event, this episode. What was it like? As uh, Peter uh, comes upon the shore soaking wet, uh, did he run and embrace Jesus and get Jesus wet? Who spoke first? And what did they say? Perhaps it was like the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son, 
where Jesus this time runs to meet Peter. We're not told. But we are told by John that soon he and the other five disciples uh, make it to the shore and they find a, a charcoal fire that Jesus had prepared beforehand, uh, put fish on it so that they could enjoy breakfast together. Imagine being the apostle Peter as he sat around the fire and looked into the flames and undoubtedly was brought back to that night similarly when he was around a fire in the yard of the high priest's home the night that he denied three times of knowing Jesus, and, and, and the flood of emotions that must have come upon Peter, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment. Wrestling with questions such as, could Jesus forgive me? Well, maybe Jesus already had in that private moment. Maybe Peter's asking other questions such as, could Jesus ever use me again? Could I ever be what I once was? Or would my sin, would my failure, would my fall define me? From this moment on, would that be my identity? Now, maybe you're here tonight and you're wondering some of the same questions, such as, could Jesus forgive even this sin? Maybe you're wondering, will Jesus forgive this failure that I committed as a professing Christian, if you're here tonight and you profess faith? Maybe you're wondering, it's one thing for Jesus to forgive my sins, which is a a wonderful thing, but could Jesus actually reinstate me? Could He send me forth? Could He actually make something of my life? Well, those are the sorts of things I want to unpack with you this evening as we look at this text together, uh, beginning with a broken man restored, a broken man restored restored. Verse 15 tells us, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice the way that Jesus refers to Peter here, not as Peter, not as the one called Peter Rock, the name that Jesus had given to the apostle, but Simon, son of John his natural name. It it at least begs the question in my mind, had something happened to Peter's apostolic office? Had he been demoted? Was this sort of Jesus' way of disciplining Peter? I think it raises questions such as, will he be reinstated? Who will Peter be moving forward? Do you love me? He asks him three times, and three times Peter says, yes, you know that I love you. Uh, Much ink has been spilled by commentators over the two uses of the words love used in this passage. There's two different 
words used. Uh, the first is agape, the other is phileo. Jesus, in his first two questions, says, do you love me? And he uses the word agape. Agape is the strongest type of love. It's a, a self-giving love. It's a, the highest kind of love. Uh, but Peter answers in both occasions, actually in all three, with I love you phileo, a brotherly, a friendship kind of love. And so the argument goes something like this. Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me in the highest sense? And Peter can't quite make himself to say that. So he says, I, I love you like this, a little bit lower down. Then the third time Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He uses phileo. Some then conclude that Jesus is, is meeting Peter where he's at. He's, he's condescending to Peter's situation. That the problem with, with that conclusion is that throughout the New Testament and in the Gospel of John, both those uses, uses are, are, are often used interchangeably, both agape and phileo. So, for example, uh, when it speaks of the Father's love and affection for the Son, it uses both agape love and phileo love. This, but that's, there's nothing stronger than the Father's love for the Son. And so, um, I, th I, think we're, I think we're going beyond the text in trying to, trying to make sense of the different kinds of love Jesus uses. But back to Jesus' question. What does he mean when he asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Who is he talking about? What well, more than these disciples? Why would Jesus ask Peter that question? Because Peter before had said that. He had basically said, Jesus, I love you more than these disciples. He said to Jesus, even if all of them, the eleven, desert you, I never will. He doesn't tell Jesus then, we won't desert you. He says, I won't desert you. It's almost as if Jesus is asking Simon, Simon, do you still think that you love me more than these? Or have you been broken? Has your self-reliance been exposed? It's interesting, there's more here than just Peter and Jesus. There's also Peter and the brothers, Peter and the disciples. Not only does Peter need forgiveness and uh, restoration from Jesus, but, but there's a horizontal thing going on as well. Where does Peter stand within the eleven, within the apostles? What would be his future? Well, Peter says to Jesus' question, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, verse 16, Jesus a second time asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And John tells us that Peter is grieved. Why is he grieved? He's not annoyed that Jesus keeps badgering him. He realizes in this moment, Jesus very intentionally says it three times because that is the exact number of denials Jesus made, that Peter made. 
it seems that Peter had finally slowly been broken. No longer could Peter, the apostle, compare himself to others and conclude that he's superior to them. In fact, all he can do is appeal to the all-knowing sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And here's what I find beautiful about that statement. It's true. Peter did love Jesus. He didn't love Jesus perfectly, but he loved Jesus truly. He loved Jesus sincerely. How could he not? Jesus died for him. Peter was beginning to see that Jesus didn't just die on a cross for others, but Jesus died on a cross for him. That Jesus was raised, not just for the justification of all his children, but for the justification of the apostle Peter himself. In fact, Simon the man, the sinner. Peter was beginning to see himself as he really, really is most fundamentally not first and foremost as an apostle, but as an undeserving sinner saved by grace and mercy. That's what Jesus asks of you and me as well. Not how well have you served me? There's a time for that kind of question. Not fundamentally, how do you measure up compared to other people? Not what are your credentials? What are your qualifications? What office do you hold? But far more importantly and far more fundamentally, do you love me? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Not perfectly, but sincerely. Truly, is He your Savior? Is He your King? Is He your friend? Sometimes we can be blinded, ironically, by our service. Peter's problem was not a lack of zeal and servitude. He was very active and busy for the kingdom. His problem was that he was viewing his relationship with Jesus on the basis of, of his office, on the basis of his serving, on the basis of his credentials and his self-righteousness. Before Peter's humiliation, he would have defined himself by all the things that he had done, all the things that he was willing to do for Christ. But now on the beach by the fire, he was beginning to see that before he was called to, to do things for Jesus, he was invited to simply be forgiven by Jesus. He was simply called to rest in who Jesus is and to love him. I wonder if that's one of the signs that we've been broken tonight. We just can't seem to get over the fact that Jesus would save a sinner like me. And as a result, we love Him. We love Him, not perfectly, but truly. And we want to love Him more. We want to read His Word. We want to gather with His people. We want to worship His name. We want to be conformed to His image. We want all of those things. 
because He has forgiven our sins, because He's restored us to God. What happens then when we rest in His love is as we fall, as we fail, as Christians, we repent not just because we broke a law, but because we've broken the heart of our Savior. And so there's this continual turning again and again, this continual humble brokenness that the Lord works in us. So this is Peter. He's on the beach. He had failed his Lord and Savior despite all that he promised to the contrary, and Jesus restored him. Jesus gave him, all of which leads to our second heading tonight, a restored man reinstated. A restored man reinstated. What would it look like now that Peter had been forgiven? Could he ever be useful again? Could he ever be what he was before, or would his failure ultimately define him? Would his denials be his lasting legacy? It's one thing to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. It's a glorious thing to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. It's another thing then to be used by Jesus, to be reinstated by Jesus, to have a purpose despite our sin, despite our failures, despite our brokenness. And here is where this story continues to be astonishing. Jesus tells Peter that he can be of use to Jesus, and so can you, and so can I. In fact, it's because Peter had been broken that in many ways he was now fit to be used in the kingdom of God. What shape would it take? Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, then feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus then said to him, feed my sheep. One commentator points out that Jesus here gives Peter not nouns but verbs. His future ministry is described not in nouns but in verbs. Uh, Peter does not say to, Jesus does not say to Peter, be an apostle or be a pastor. Hold the office of a pastor. He says, in your office, feed and tend. And and notice whose sheep. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, feed your sheep, Peter. pastors and elders, He doesn't say to you, feed your sheep. Parents, He doesn't tell us to feed our sheep. Youth youth workers and and Sunday school teachers, He doesn't tell us to feed your sheep. He tells us, and He tells Peter to feed my sheep. 
That, that's our privilege. That's our joy. We get to, as forgiven sinners, participate in the great mission that the Lord Jesus has given to us. We get to tell others the good news, give them the Word of God, and especially the life-saving and life-transforming gospel, all that Jesus has accomplished, all that Jesus has secured, which is exactly what we find Peter doing, by the way, in the book of Acts. It's an astonishing reversal. Peter, there is a broken man, a humbled man, a spirit-filled man who is preaching with all the courage and all the urgency and all the fortitude of a man who has been forgiven, who's been broken. D.A. Carson says, Peter's love for his Lord and the evidence of his reinstatement are both to be displayed in Peter's pastoral care for the Lord's flock. That's what love for Jesus looks like in Peter's life. Feed the sheep, tend the flock. And that's what it looks like for us as well in our homes, in our churches in our vocations, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, to be faithful to where Jesus has called us and put us, including the call to feed and attend. Then Jesus tells Peter this, verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Seems a bit of a strange thing for Jesus to say, except for this. Peter would have known exactly what he's referring to, and John actually helps us understand in those days to stretch out one's hands was to be crucified. Which is exactly what happened to the apostle Peter. Crucified not to bear the sins of others, but crucified because of the one who bore his sins, who restored Peter, who forgave Peter, and who then sent Peter out on a mission. And Peter then, by God's grace, was faithful to the task. I just love how John concludes, after saying this, he said to him, Jesus said, follow me. I love it because of the simplicity of that. If, if, you, if you remember back to the original call that Peter received, another time he was on a boat, another time they didn't catch any fish, and Jesus called to Peter and other disciples and said, what? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And now Jesus has come back around and told Peter, follow me again. keep following me. It's as if Peter has a a brand new start, only better. Not only does he get to feed Jesus' sheep, but now he gets to do it as a humbled, forgiven sinner saved by grace. Before, he was a pompous, proud, energetic apostle, always sizing himself up compared to other people, convinced that he was God's gift to the church. 
and then he crashed. Everything that he thought came apart. But then Jesus restored him, and Jesus reinstated him, and Jesus reoriented him, and gave him a mission to feed Christ's sheep. There's a magnificent encounter in Luke's gospel, chapter 7, where a Pharisee named Simon invites a notorious sinner into his home. Sorry, invites Jesus into his home. Forgive me. Invites Jesus, why? Because he wants to impress? Because he's serving But much to Simon the Pharisee's offense, this sinful woman whose name is never mentioned shows up and makes an absolute scene, weeping over Jesus' feet and wiping them with her hair. Now, when the Pharisee saw this, we read, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." Then Jesus tells the story of a moneylender who had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither could pay, but the lender decides to cancel the debt of both. Jesus then turns to Simon and says, now which of them will love him more? Simon answers correctly, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's correct. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, because she loved much. That's the evidence of her having been forgiven. But, he says to Simon, he who is forgiven little, do you remember the connection? He who has been forgiven little what? Loves little. In many ways, the apostle Peter had been just like the Pharisee in that story, and in so many ways, so are we. He really didn't have all that much to be forgiven of, so he thought, and as a result, he really only loved himself, even though he was busy serving Jesus. But now he had been broken. He had been forgiven much and he knew it. And so, he lived the remainder of his life by God's grace, deeply loving Jesus by faithfully feeding Jesus' sheep until he himself died on his own cross as a result. Which brings us back to this all-important question this evening. Can God forgive you? Can can God forgive you for the ugliest, most heinous of sins? 
Maybe you've concluded tonight as a non-Christian, well, I'm convinced that he couldn't forgive me. I'm not worthy enough. I don't have enough credentials. I haven't been brought up in the church. He can forgive you, and he will forgive you if you would go to him. If you would humble your proud heart and give him your heart and say, please forgive me. He will cast no one away. What about if you committed sin as a professing Christian? Can He forgive you? Can He use you? Can He restore you? Can He reinstate you? Sin has consequences. This doesn't answer every question. Can He use you even though you're divorced? Can He use you even though you've had an abortion? Can He forgive you and use you though you've been addicted to pornography for 10 years, though you've committed sexual adultery or sexual fornication? Can He forgive you and can He use you? Like Peter, he can, and he does. In fact, incredibly, mysteriously, he is pleased in his infinite wisdom to break us of our self-reliance and pride and then send us out as forgiven children who have tasted grace and calls us to be faithful wherever that might be, to feed sheep, to tend the flock, to raise our kids, to love our neighbors, to fulfill our vocations. And He just invites us to to love Him and to receive Him and to believe that He can, yes, forgive all of my sins and He can restore me and reinstate me and resend me. And he gets all the glory. And what happens when that kind of community is created by the gospel through the Spirit? It's a community in which other people who are just as broken, who have just as many stories, can begin opening up and healing, where they're welcomed in, because you understand. Before the Apostle Peter, he didn't get it. He would have looked down his nose at those sinners, but now? Now someone comes to the Apostle Peter's study and says, Pastor, I'm struggling. Pastor, I've sinned. Pastor, my life is a mess. And, and Peter would have walked that road with him, not celebrating sin, 
but looking to Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the gospel. And, and when the gospel creates that kind of community, there's nothing else like it. People come, to li- come alive at a church like that when we all together revel in the amazing grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. I, I don't know where you're at tonight. But I do know this, that we all need encouragement. We all need constant reorientations to be reminded of what's true. This is the Savior, Jesus, the one who receives a broken Peter and then says to him, feed my sheep. May we be faithful to what God has called us to do as broken, redeemed people. Let's pray. Father, would you please work in our hearts that which is necessary right now? Lord, every single person here is a sinner, every single person needs to be broken. And Lord, we, we, we need to keep being broken. Remind us of our frailty. Remind us of our weakness and our vulnerability. Remind us, Lord, that, that you do not accept us on the basis of our service. May we come to the end of ourselves. Lord, do that in us and for us. Do it gently but do it truly, whatever it might take, O oh Lord, to, to, to show us that the strength is not in us. It is only in Jesus Christ. The power is not in our effort. The power is not in our resolve. The power is, is not in our credentials. The power is in Jesus Christ and the Word by the Spirit and the gospel of freedom. So, Lord, please use Peter's experience to give hope to hurting people tonight, hurting marriages, hurting people, hurting youth, people who are addicted to sin. Lord, would you give freedom? Would you give hope? Would you bring transformation? And Lord, would you not only use your word to that end, but would you also use the body of believers as we, Lord, celebrate our forgiveness through Jesus Christ and then walk beside each other in humility, in brokenness, Lord, not celebrating our sin, but celebrating the transforming power of Jesus. Lord, that we might become more like Him. That You would give us hope tonight, Lord, that, that our failures are not the end of the story. We do not need to be defined by our sin. For in Christ, we have been crucified And we no longer live, but Christ lives within us. Oh, Lord, help us then to leave tonight with hope, and we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the song we're about to sing. I invite you to stand as we conclude. We'll sing one more song after this, actually, but we'll sing now, Wonderful, Merciful Savior.
But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Guess who wrote that? Peter. After rehearsing Peter's own personal story of redemption and forgiveness and reinstatement, I can never read First and Second Peter the same again. Because here's a man who had been broken. And Jesus was just pleased to use him to encourage us. Receive God's parting blessing. Then we'll close with these words, uh, the song, May the Peace of God. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.